morning for the word of God. How y'all doing this morning? Can y'all hear me clearly? All righty. Well, we thank Tristan for, I will, <laughs> we thank Tristan for uh, just sharing his testimony. We thank everybody who continues to share uh, their testimonies with us uh, from week to week. Um, and so I'm going to pray and then we're going to get into the word this morning. Amen. All right, Father, we thank you for today, God. We thank you for the opportunity to stand here uh, and deliver your word. Father, would you increase in me as I decrease? It's in Christ Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Four, if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time, and the life he lived, he lives to God. So you too, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen. So last week I introduced this series with this message titled uh, Ready to Die. And we talked about if I say something like ready to die, life after death, born again, that would we get what type of vibes? Biggie vibes, right? <laughs> and so, um, but in a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating, three weeks I believe exactly, we'll be celebrating uh, Good Friday. Who knows what Good Friday is? The celebration of Jesus' death. Amen. You get an A, you get an A. Right? We're going to be celebrating the resurrection, I mean the death of Jesus. However, as great as a celebration that is and as joyous as that day is, that's not the only day that's celebrated. Because what happens three days later? <laughs> that's what they say. He got up. No, but three days later, we celebrate resurrection, it's resurrection, say it with me, resurrection Sunday. So, on the 17th, what I don't want to hear is happy Easter, <laughs> right, right, bunny and them eggs ain't got nothing to do with Jesus or his resurrection, but it is resurrection Sunday, and it's a greater celebration. And it's a greater celebration, no matter how joyous Good Friday is, the reality is, if we only celebrated the death of Jesus, then where is the victory and what does that actually mean? And a lot of times we, hmm, I believe that we as the church need to renew our resurrection theology. And here's why. Because a lot of times, even when I hear people share the gospel, this is what I hear. You know, Christ died for your sins. True. But I don't ever hear that part. It's just telling people, man, listen, man, Christ died for you. You should love him. But he didn't just die. Because what makes him any different than any other dead person? <laughs> if he just died. Right? What sets Christ apart is that he didn't just die, but he also resurrected himself. Not unlike Lazarus, nobody stood outside and told him to come forth. Coretta, Coretta, been, Coretta stay texting me stuff all the time. She texts me her nuggets. She texts me her nuggets. She was like, "Hey, so, so, so this mean? Uh, she was something about what did you say about Lazarus with his resurrection? You shot me something. I was in my head and it just left. But you shot me something about the resurrection of Lazarus and and the beauty. And I was writing, but at the same time, the beauty of it is Jesus had to resurrect Lazarus. He had to tell Lazarus to come forth. But what you were pointing out was that Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's what you said, right? And what that meant was that Jesus, nobody killed him, right? Nobody killed him, right? But he gave his life. But in the same way, nobody stood outside of the tomb and said, raise Jesus. Jesus said, listen, destroy this temple, and in three days I 
will rebuild it. In three days, I will resurrect myself. That's what set Jesus apart, not just that he died, but that he also resurrected. And the reason that we need to renew this theology in the church is because the resurrection is tied to victory. The resurrection is tied to victory. The resurrection is tied to power. Paul says, if you take the doctrine of the resurrection out, then the entire Christian faith is in vain. Because that just means we worship a dead man. And so we have to go past this idea. She on 10. We have to go past this idea of Christ simply died. And we have to get to this place of recognizing and living with the resurrection theology. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because last week we talked about being ready to die. So we talked about death, right? But this week we're going to talk about resurrection, life after death, living in power. Now, life after death can be understood essentially as the sanctification journey, right? When I talk about life after death, essentially I'm just talking about the sanctification journey. What is sanctification? Well, I'll give you a theological answer. Miller Erickson defines it as this, the continuing work of God in the life of the believer, making us actually holy. The sanctification journey is the continual work of God in the life of the believer. Believer, then continual work. Making us actually holy, right? This literally means set apart. Set apart from this world, set apart from sin, and set apart to something, right? We are set apart to God, right? Now, I can explain it two ways. I can explain it as positional, progressive, or ultimate, or I can explain it as penalty, power, and presence, right? Two ways to explain it. Some people you'll hear talk about sanctification and salvation. They'll talk about being saved from the penalty, power, and presence, right? Some people you'll hear talk about sanctification, and they'll use terms that I personally like to use, which is uh, 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 positional, progressive, and ultimate, right? What, what does that mean? Well, essentially, positional sanctification just means that the moment I confess faith in Jesus Christ, I was set apart as his. The moment. The moment I said yes to the Lord, yes to the gospel, I was positionally set apart as a child of God, right? Ultimate or um, 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 presence, <laughs> ultimate or presence means that there's a day coming when I will be completely perfect and transformed as Christ is. Right? That, that's my ultimate sanctification. The time that'll come when I'll be completely separated from the, even the presence of sin. I'm saved from the penalty by being positionally sanctified. I will be saved from the presence, right, and ultimate sanctification or glorification when I receive my glorified body, right? Let me give you some scripture real quick. Y'all know we got to read the Bible. First John 3, 2 and 3. Dear friends, we are God's children now. See that? That's positionally. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. Here's the beauty, though. We know, okay, let's just stop there for a second. What we will be has not yet been, so, so, so the text implies that whatever we are, we aren't yet what we will be. So the text implies that whoever you are now, whatever you're struggling with now, whatever you think about yourself now, that's not what you will be. That, that means that speaks to a process, meaning I'm this now, but I'm not what I will be because I'm in process. I'm being sanctified. And here's the beauty, though. When, and this is what he says. We know that when he appears, though, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. That's ultimate sanctification. Listen, he says, you're not who you're going to be yet. You're being transformed. You're being conformed into the image of Christ, but you're not who you are yet. But this is what we do know. Whatever Jesus looked like, we know when we see him, we'll look like him. Okay. It's not talking about ethnicity. It's talking about the likeness and image of God. It's becoming image bearers again. It's being conformed into the image of God. Second Corinthians 3.18 says what? We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image. What image? The glory, from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit, right? 
It says we are being transformed. That's progressive. Being continually happening, not done. Right? So, yes, I'm saved positionally. I'm a child of God. I will, I will finally reach the perfection that I desire to have now. I will finally be whatever Christ wants me to be, the full transformation of his image when he returns. But in the in-between, I'm being transformed. I'm in this progressive state of, of transforming from who I used to be into who God wants me to be. And that's that second process. And when I talk about life after death, that's what we're talking about. When we talk about life after death, we're literally talking about the continual process of walking in power to overcome the acts and patterns of sin in our life. That's what I mean by that. Dying was just the initial step. Dying is what separated me, what broke the ruling power of sin in my life. But now that I've rose, I've rose to a new life, right? I have a life now that is after death. It's interesting that the, the, it's reversed, right? Typically, life precedes death. But when we're talking about spiritual life, death precedes life. In order to truly live, I have to die first. In order to actually become what God wants me to be, there must be separation first. So everybody who wants to talk about God just got to deal with me as I am, that is great. He loves you now and he'll accept you now. But if you don't think, that his requirement of you is that you need to now begin to separate from whoever you used to be to become who he has called you to be, you've confused yourself. And not only that, you've let the world confuse you. Like they want to stay in a mess. I don't. I was a mess. I promise you, you did not want me to stay in my mess. Promise you. Guarantee it. My wife didn't want me to. My kids didn't want me to. Y'all didn't want me to. The world didn't want me to. Court definitely didn't want me to. And my bank account didn't want me to. Cost a lot of money to be in mess. <laughs> but here's the beauty. Life after death is able to happen. Because we have now been freed from the control of sin. See, we can be in process and not in bondage. And that's what we have to understand. We can be in process and not bondage, right? And in other words, being in process doesn't justify being in bondage to sin or allowing sin to rule and have dominion in your life. You know, you'd be like, listen, he ain't done with me yet. But that's not an excuse to continue to be in bondage to something that you're supposed to be dead to. He's not done with me yet. Yes, praise the Lord. But that's not a justification to remain in bondage to anything. Life after death is about living in power, not bondage. I didn't die to resurrect in the same bondage I died to. I should have just stayed that way, avoided all of the crazy stuff. You know, people want to be Christian. Like, well, listen, if I just wanted to be the same person I was before I came, I could have did it a lot easier if I didn't want to be a Christian too. Right? It's easier. To, well, you know, when I put the, now I, now I got a conscience, I'm thinking about stuff, I'm feeling convicted. But if I just still want to do the same thing I always did, then just leave God out of it. Why put yourself through that stress? Stressing, waking up every morning, praying, repenting for something you ain't going to change up. Why even do it? Just do you. Live your life. Why wake up at 6, 7 in the morning and come to church? Just ain't worth it. If I'm going to do all that, I'm going to put some work in. <laughs> like if I'm, if I'm going to get persecuted for Jesus, I'm going to at least live like him. Right, because the world don't know nothing about you not being like all the way, all the way. <laughs> they just persecuting you like you all. So you getting persecuted for hell that you ain't even going through because you ain't. All right, listen. Here's the beauty of life after death, being about living in power, not bondage. It removes the whole devil made me do it. And see, here's the thing, man. I came to a conclusion last night that the reason I don't like freedom and the reason y'all don't like freedom, yeah, I'm speaking for y'all, is because when you acknowledge that you are free in Christ, it takes away the excuses. And it now puts the responsibility for what I do on me. I can't blame the devil if I'm free in Christ. I can't blame the devil if I've died to that. So the only person that I can blame when I choose to sin is I got to look in the mirror and deal with me. But we don't like that. We want to say, man, the devil made me do it. Nah, nah, nah. I'm in process with you, and I stumble. I'm not perfect. But I promise you, I am not 
under dominion of any sin. And I don't say that with boastfulness in my heart. Uh, matter of fact, you should hope I'm not. Because actually a qualification of an elder of God's church is the Bible actually literally says he must not be ruled by anything. <laughs> so you got a lot of pastors ruled by a lot of stuff. Hmm. Listen, I'm not ruled by anything. What that mean? That mean when I sin, I wasn't made to do it. I just yielded to my flesh. I wasn't forced to obey it. I just did it, right? Sin makes unbelievers do what they don't want to do. But it doesn't make me do anything. The doctrine of freedom removes blame shifting, and that's why we don't like it. So James smacks us in our face because he says in 1 verse 14, but each person, he actually starts in 13. I didn't put it up there, but he says, when you tempted, don't say God tempted you. In other words, when you're going through something, don't be like, God, why are you doing this to me? He said each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his, say, own, own desires. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, evil. Own evil desires. The emphasis is on the own part. I'm drawn away. I sin. I'm enticed by things that's in my life. And when I fall away, it's because of the, the wickedness in my own heart. The devil can't make me do nothing I don't even want to do. It's a whole lot of stuff. I'd be like, that will never be my problem because I don't. Ugh. <laughs> Ain't on me. I'm cool with it. Right? Now, there's some stuff that I'm like, I mean, it's all right. That's what the devil be like. God, I'm not, not. Who's there? Not answering. Go next door. Remember? Okay, listen. <laughs> James 4, 7 then says this. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee you. Pay attention. If we submit those areas that we struggle with to God, we will always be in a state of resisting. Here's why. Because if you're submitted to God, God has no desire to give in to the enemy. So if you're submitted to God, you will always be in a state of resisting. Because God ain't yielding. God ain't, God ain't bound to need of nothing. Right? So if I'm walking with him, submitting to him, doing what he wants me to do in my life, I will always find myself always resisting. Okay. Because somebody's like, all right, I heard you. That's good teaching. <laughs> but I be resisting, and I still be struggling. All right, so let's, get, let's keep talking about the Bible here. Notice that James does not say, resist the devil and he gone. He said, resist. And he will flee, but it never says he ain't going to come back. Let's let Jesus' life tell us this story. Luke 4, 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. We were like, Jesus was tempted for 40 days, and then he lived the rest of those three years of ministry without no problem. <laughs> no, 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 no. It says... He was hitting them. He was hitting them. And Jesus was resisting. And Jesus was resisting. And the enemy was like, all right, I'm tired. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't gas me out. <laughs> I'm gone. But don't worry. There'll be another moment in your life. There'll be another lonely night. There'll be another slip up. There'll be another you got caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. There'll be another person that cut you off on the highway. Right? He said, don't worry. I'll just wait till the next time and I'll sneak back in there. Right? But the Bible is telling us submit. If I keep submitting, I'll keep resisting. And this is why we don't die once. We have to live a life of being dead. We have to wake up every day saying, I am dying to the things in my heart that are against God. That is my prayer every morning. I literally, I say, God, I don't know how I'm about to mess this up today. But help me not. Because ain't nothing good in me apart from him. So, God, I don't know what I'm about to do today, but I know somebody about to get it. So, help me not let them get it. <laughs> and so, Paul, we got to go. Paul teaches this. Because <laughs> we're about to hit the first verse of the actual text. <laughs> Romans 6. <laughs> Why 
Watch what Roman. Watch what. <laughs> Stop hugging. <laughs> you stupid. I heard you. And I was about to finish it. That's why I'm so bad. See, nothing good in us. <laughs> All right, so Paul says this in Romans 6. He says, we can resist the enemy's enticements because we live in power as believers, not bondage. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death. Come on, we're going to talk about that. We will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And this statement is so powerful. But here's how we must not read this statement. We must not read this statement as Paul talking about our physical death and our physical bodily resurrection. Paul ain't been talking about nothing physical yet. He's been using Christ's physical death to connect to our spiritual death and our spiritual resurrection. He hasn't shifted. He's still talking about the same thing he was talking about, we were talking about last week through verses 1 through 4. So when he talks about being in the likeness of his death, the likeness of his death is not our actual physical death. It's what we talked about in verse 3, baptism, right? We go in the grave with him through baptism, and then we resurrect out of the water in resurrection, a new person, right? And so that's what it means to be, but we talked about death last week. We talked about life this week, okay? So what does it mean? To be in the likeness of his resurrection. Well, let's jump to a passage that's going to make this super clear. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. Jesus, God says this, Paul says this about God. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the mighty working of his strength, he exercised his power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens, Far above every ruler, authority, power, and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Notice that God's immeasurable power is on display in Christ's resurrection. The power that we can't measure. I can't measure it, but if I look at the resurrection of Christ, I see God's power. And I'm not going there, Reem did it already, preached it well, but then that same power resurrected us spiritually from the dead, right? But, but, but look what it says. When he resurrected him from the grave, what did he do? He seated him at his right hand. And right hand, for Jesus, is literal, but it also carries a symbolic idea. All throughout the Old Testament, the right hand of God was the power. It was a representation of power. So he says he seated him in power, right? And he raised him in power, power above every ruler's power, every other authority's power, every other power's power, every other dominion's power. The victorious resurrection of Christ was to power. Therefore, sharing in his likeness means that ours is also. My resurrected life in Christ is in the likeness of Christ's resurrection, which means I have come out of that water with power. Right? And that's why Ephesians 2, 6 says he also raised us with him. And he seated us. Where? With him. Well, where is he at? Above every ruler, authority, dominion, and power. In the heaven, in Christ Jesus. This is what it means to be raised in the likeness of Christ. Right? We're not seated at God's right hand. Never will be. That's why it's likeness. <laughs> right? So it's talking about what the right hand represents. Power. Being united with Christ gives us power over everything that once had power over us. Because the rulers and authorities, because Jesus allowed them to have authority and power over him, they have power over him. Right? But now in his resurrection, they don't have power over him. And the same thing is true to us. Before we died... Our body ruled by sin had power over us. But now that we resurrected, the thing that once had power over us no longer has power over us. Instead, look at the role reversal. We got power over it. Romans 6, 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. Why? So that the body ruled by sin might be rendered, reckoned, considered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. 
to power reversal, right? I died. And when I died, all of that old me stuff died too. That's why the Bible says you're a new creature. And, and everybody loved that verse when we want to talk about, don't be out here judging me. You don't know who I'm a new creature in Christ. We'll quote that too when sin knocking on your door. Don't, don't only quote it when you're trying to like throw shade at somebody. Quote it when you like, oh Lord, I am for sure. Help me, help me, help me. I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm a new creature in Christ. All things have passed away. Behold, I am new. I am new. I am new. I, like, like, wait, like, like we don't, we should start reciting these verses in those moments. And y'all know what the moments, don't be acting all strange today, y'all. The life sin had power over was crucified. It don't have power over this new life. It don't have power over this resurrected life. And this is why I love what Wayne, Wayne Grudem says this. I don't really like him that much anymore, but I like this quote. <laughs> he says this. Christians should never say, this sin has defeated me. I give up. This is going to be me until I die. You know, anger, bitter, sexual perversion, violent, greedy, selfish, addiction, all that, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Come on, keep naming them. Come on here. Y'all preach this with me now. He's, huh? He, come on. What, throw it out there. <laughs> he says to say this is to say that sin has gained dominion and it, and it is allowed to reign in our bodies. But being dead to sin involves power to overcome those patterns and actions. It may take you a little while. That's progressive. Right? It ain't immediate. It may take you a while. You may have some good days and some bad days. But in your bad days, don't give up and be like, ah, oh, this is just me. I can't beat it. I can't shake this thing. So whatever. Instead, of, I'm just, no. It's just a bad day. Let a bad day be a bad day. We all have bad days. Now don't have bad weeks and months and years. Let your bad day be just that, bad day. <laughs> Jump back up. Get back on your feet. Right? But whenever you're struggling, don't have that defeated talk. And I'll say it a little more pastorally to you guys. I don't want to hear defeat when I talk to you. If I'm talking, I don't want to hear it. Because whatever you feel like, if you feel defeated, if you are a child of God, you aren't defeated. So, but if you keep talking like that, okay, let's talk power. Let's talk victory. Let's talk we won. So the question is, why do so many people confess Christ and still look defeated, right? Now, last week, and especially Romans 6, 7 says this, a person who has died is free from sin. So last week when we talked about this, it was a mindset problem, remember? Well, this week I think it's an independent over dependence problem. What does that mean? Well, if mindset is correct, and the Bible is certainly correct, and we still see ourselves struggling, we still see ourselves not having power and victory over these things in our life, then it's because we are depending more on us than depending on the power source. See, when we talk about power over sin, the Bible never talks about your power. When the Bible talks about power over sin, right, it's in Christ. It's Christ working through us. The Bible always talks about God's power, right? And so many of us has allowed the enemy to pervert even the doctrine of power. But the great power of God that helps us to have power over sin is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have him. Ephesians 1, 13. In him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. This means that each of us have power because God's spirit lives in us. Paul says, and if we walk according to that power, if we walk depending on that power and not depending on ourselves, he says in Galatians 5, 16, walk by the spirit, walk dependent on the spirit, and you will certainly, it's the certainly for me. You will, not you might not, it's possible, it might work out for you. You will certainly not carry out the desires of your flesh. You know why Paul can say that? Because again, the spirit will never lead a person into sin. 
you can never be walking in step with the Spirit in sin. If you do, you weren't at some, you might have started with the Spirit, but somewhere along the way, the Spirit either slowed down, stopped, took a water break, and you kept going. <laughs> That's why every now and then you got to stop and be like, you still with, okay, he's, okay, good, keep going. But that power is the Holy Spirit. And too many of us are putting our faith in our ability alone. Too many, okay, let me just say it. Too many are immature enough to think they're mature enough to handle what's in front of them. And I, and I mean that. It is a very immature thought to think you're mature enough that you got this. You know. And then you can't even tell them nothing. You see me? I'm good. I'm walking with, I, know all, I, know what the, I know all the scriptures. I'm covered by the blood. I preach six, pray six times. I anoint myself with oil. I'm good. The enemy can't touch me. I bind and loose him. <laughs> I'm like, well, that kind of like canceled each other. <laughs> Maybe you should have just binded him <laughs> if that's even possible. But anyway. <laughs> but listen. But we, we start to get, we so immature in our thoughts sometimes that we put ourselves in these sticky situations. Right? And I've heard so many people do it. And you already know what it is. You be at your boo house, super late, in the hour of restlessness. <laughs> Doing the holy, sanctified Netflix and chill. It's like, no, 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 not the worldly way. We literally just watching Netflix and chilling. Drinking liquid ecstasy, wine. <laughs> just, just call it what it is. All my married people know <laughs> what we talking about. <laughs> Knowing you thirsty and not for the wine. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But I'm good, though. I'm covered by the blood. Ain't nothing going to happen. You a fool. You put your, you set your, okay. I can't stand this person, but you know what I'm saying? I, I, I'm at my ends, but I just want to talk to them, though. I just want to talk to them just to have a, I just want to have a civilized conversation with them, man, you know what I'm saying, just to let them know how I feel. Then they roll their eyes at you, and you let off on them. Talking about they disrespected you. You knew from the moment you was going to talk to them, you was waiting on them to even breathe in a way that you didn't like so that you can say, oh, you breathing heavy on me? Oh, see, you, you, you ain't that strong. And you immature if you keep thinking you are. And the devil likes that. And I'm not saying don't have confidence in God's ability. But I'm talking about you having confidence in your ability. Because if you're walking in the spirit in the moment, the spirit going to tell you, take your butt home and go to sleep. The spirit going to be like, where you going? It's two. It's one. Why he laying on you? Why she touching you? Why you got to have one to chill at the house? Man, you, water tastes good. You get a little crystal light. But I see it. You said it's tears apart. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, not messing with, I'm not messing with this sector right here. <laughs> but listen, listen. But I see too many believers accepting the enemy's perversion of the doctrine of power as self-dependence instead of Holy Spirit dependence. And I watch those people fall over and over and over again. And this is why Paul says, warning, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Paul says, hey, if you think you're standing, take heed. There's a fall on the way. If you think you're smelling, you're smelling yourself more than you headed for a fall. You ain't that good. You ain't that holy. You ain't that sanctified. We ain't that strong, y'all. We not. And it's not immature to acknowledge that. That's actually spiritual maturity. I am not strong enough. This is why Galatians chapter 6 says, brothers, if you see someone caught in sin, make sure you who are spiritual enough go and restore. Don't anybody try to help everybody out because some of y'all are going to get caught in the same stuff they caught in. You try to go get them out the bar and you sit down. 
Yeah, you better call somebody else to go get that, brother. <laughs> you listening to all their problems, and their problems is the same problems you struggling with at night, too. Now you struggling even more. <laughs> we not that. Okay, y'all get the point. But God is. Becoming dependent on the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Gotta hurry. See, I set this thing intentionally 10 minutes behind because I was like, I was like, if I set it at the right time and then get myself more 10 minutes, then we're in trouble. Anyway, becoming dependent on the Holy Spirit of oh, maturity over ourselves will help us to walk in power. And understand something. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit. Our work is to submit to him. All believers have the spirit. But all believers don't allow themselves to be filled with the spirit. And that means to give the spirit control. He's in here. That's why the Bible tells us don't grieve him. Uh, skip, skip the next one, but go to the next one. Go to that Ephesians 4.30 real quick. It says, and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. Why? Well, how can you grieve him? Because you were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Remember Ephesians chapter 1, how were we sealed? When he entered into us. So the Bible is saying, listen, man, he in there. Stop grieving him. Stop not listening to him. Stop not giving him authority over your life. And so what does it mean to be filled by the Holy Spirit? Well, Ephesians 5.18 says this, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living in the reckless hour. I added that part. But be filled by the Spirit. Paul contrasts being drunk with wine, and we all know. Well, many of us know what it looked like to be under the influence of alcohol. Blame it on alcohol. All right? We all know what that feels like. I don't understand how this happened. I don't know what I did. I remember I woke up one day after St. Patty's Day and didn't have no more rent money. I didn't even have money when I went down there. <laughs> All I can say, looking at my roommate, is, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I was like, when you with me, what did I do? <laughs> you didn't stop me? You're like, I don't know what happened either. I'm like, well, we were rent late. <laughs> it controls our actions. And so Paul contrasted. And he says, so instead of being drunk with wine, controlled by wine, be filled or controlled by the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to have the power in his life that will allow us to live a life of obedience and a life of power. See, God has done everything to give us what we need to overcome being ruled by sin. The question is, are we willing to surrender? Are we willing to lean into the Spirit's power and instruction? Or will we, or will we continue to grieve him? And be prepared. Because we're going to shift it up after service today. Because after service, I'm going to do an altar call. And I'm going to do an altar call for everybody who is serious about dying to something that is controlling their life. To be able to come up here. And I'm not going to pray with you. Nobody's going to pray over you. But you're going to just confess and repent at the altar and really ask God if you mean it. To help you lean on the spirit. I'm just going to anoint whoever up here with oil and let God do what he do. Right? Because we got to get to a point of actually getting to a place of saying, I want this change in my life. Nobody can preach you good enough to change if you don't want to change. You can't read enough scripture to change if you don't want to change. The thing that we need to learn how to do is first make up in our mind that I don't want to do this no more. Not find every excuse to do the thing that you don't want to do. And you know how we be as Christians. As soon as it's something we want to do, we start asking, I mean, well, did God, is that really sin? <laughs> Sounding just like him. Did he really say you would die? Well, yeah, he did. It was sin yesterday. How did it stop being sin when you wanted to do it? Now we questioning if it's wrong. It was wrong when I was doing it. Now you're like, well, I don't know if cussing really bad. You can't cuss them out. But they deserve it. Oh, now you question. Well, I ain't really see it in the Bible. Don't cuss them out. You know, curse word in the Bible is really just about, like, curses on people. You know what I'm saying? So it's okay if I, if I just drop a little bomb on them, dog them out right quick. Great lie. But we'll find a way to lie and question God when we want to do something, y'all. It's what we do. But I don't want us to do that no more. 
No more excuses. And check this out. Romans 6, 8 through 9. We're about to finish up. Now, if we die with Christ, we will believe that we will also what? Live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules him. Okay, here's what this means. We're talking likeness, right? So Christ died, and what does it say? He'll never die again. And what else did it say? Death no longer, okay. So we're likeness, right? Okay. So because we have the Holy Spirit, we will never again be ruled by sin. And and I, and I understand because I'm giving some very clear statements here. And I know we don't always look like this and live like this, but either the Bible is true or experience is true. But I'm going to take God over my experience. And the reality is the Bible is likening our walk with Christ and our fight and struggle and dominion over sin. To, so if Christ died and never has to die again and death no longer has rule over him and we are in his likeness of his resurrection, then it does not, never will, can't have rule over us again. And let me tell you this, just because we allow something to rule us doesn't mean it has rule over us. We get, give it to him. Yes, preach it. Come on, girl. We give it rule in our life. It doesn't mean it has, okay, y'all don't believe me? Well, God is ruler over everything, but he ain't ruling in everybody's life. See the difference? Right? We got things ruling in us, but it doesn't have rule over us. And the moment we realize that, that's when those moments can stop being days and weeks and months. Because that moment doesn't mean I'm ruled by it. That moment just means got me, but the power that lives in me says, hold on, I cannot do this in the morning now. I don't have to repeat just because I did it yesterday. I can now rise above it and say, you got me yesterday, but you ain't going to get me today. You got me the last time they cut me off, but you ain't going to get me this time. <laughs> on the journey to sanctification we will have moments where we resist and moments when we will yield but when we yield it's not about rule it's not about, it's ab- it is about us not walking in the spirit at that moment and I'm just making these statements because I'm trying to teach y'all about mindset I'm trying to teach y'all about truth if we embrace this thing remember Paul is saying all of this because some believers said should we keep sinning so that grace may abound Paul is doing all of this to correct the believer's mindset about sin (coughs) and about the desire to sin. Let's close with this, Romans 6, 10 through 11. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. Okay, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Notice the once for all time. That's referred to as the finished work. Christ defeated sin completely, and in him we walk in that same victory. This is what life after death means. It's, a, it's not a defeated life, but it's a life filled with power. Right? And if we embrace this, then the world, our flesh, temptation, it, it, when it comes knocking, we, we'll, we'll stop seeing a sanctification journey that looks like this. And we'll start seeing one that looks like this. <laughs> got me. Okay, you got me. Nope, got me. It'll shift. We'll start seeing more victory, more success, more power. But I promise you, if you never start resisting, you never will resist. And that's not deep. That's just logical. If I don't start resisting something, I clearly can't ever resist it. I have to start resisting something in order to, right? You have to slowly stop doing something or start doing something in order to actually see that, okay? If you think that you can just go through life and just say, I got power over this. And every time they come knocking on the door, you just keep falling to it. You never actually put the work in to resist yourself. God has given us every tool we need. But what he is not about to do and some people will disagree depending on what your theological position is on certain stuff, and that's fine. But since I'm preaching, what he is not going to do <laughs> is he is not going to come down here and make you put the work in. I was reading something. Um, it's not up there, but 
I was reading, I was doing some studying on 1 John 3, chapter 9. It's actually very interesting because uh, it says those who have been born of God, what? Um, will not continue to sin because his seed is in him. And I was looking up that word seed, and I was trying to understand, is, it, is, is, is James talking, about, is John talking about the Holy Spirit? And then I started to see something. Went over to James chapter 1, verse 18. Then I jumped over to 1 Peter and 2.23, and, or 2 Peter 2.23, and they made this interesting statement. They said, you have been born by an imperishable seed, the word of God. So I started to think about it. I said, hold on, wait, 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 wait. No one who has been born of God continue to sin because you have the seed in you. So then I started to think about the new covenant. I will put my laws on their hearts. And so then I started to think about sanctification. And I said, well, we got the spirit already. And some of us still acting crazy. So what's the other piece? And I began to make a couple connections. I went back to 2 Corinthians 3.18 where it says that uh, we look into a mirror and see the glory and we become that. So I'm just doing Bible study. So then I just jumped over to James chapter 1 again. James chapter 1 says... What's the mirror? The word of God. So then I'm putting all this together and I say, well, it seems like what God is trying to teach us is that if we simply know his word and we become doers, not simply hearers, then God's word will never lead us into sin, but it will reveal the sin in our life. It will reveal our way to come out of it, and it will allow us to slowly begin to have a transformed life, to slowly change. And I promise you guys, if you guys really start to take the word of God seriously, my entire salvation journey came because I didn't even know God, but I just read the Bible. And the moment I read it, it said something, and I was like, that's sin? That's bad? That's my whole life. I got businesses off that. And, and, it, and it was, and I was like, and then my, and then Kareem been knowing me for my whole walk with, with Jesus. Kareem been knowing me my whole life. So he can tell you I'm not lying. And Kareem can tell, period. <laughs> okay, listen. So I'm not, no stories. But the point that I'm making is. I would read the Bible, and Reem, I promise you, Reem, Reem, I promise you, he'll tell you this. I would read the Bible, and my very first Bible, it, I read it, and it said, I forgot, I don't remember the exact words, but it was, it was the first Corinthians, and whatever, you know what I'm talking about, and I, and, it, and I was like, backsliding, and I just wrote in my Bible, backsliding is bad, <laughs> and then that's how I lived my life, <laughs> like, I literally, it was, I was, I just read the Bible, and then I said, I'm going to do the best I can do to do what I'm reading. I'm not about to try to justify it. I'm not about to try to figure out a wiggle room around it. I'm just going to do what it says. And that is how my journey in sanctification took place. Holy Spirit dependence and the word of God paired together with a willful heart. I didn't want to be who I was no more. And people ask all the time, Tanks, you've been saved for 11 years, 12 years almost. Huh? 2010. Okay. But I started this journey of where I'm at now four years ago. And people was like, well, how, how did you get? Because I just committed myself to the word of God. I committed myself to doing what God said. I jacked up a lot of stuff. I still jack up a lot of stuff. But I commit myself to saying, whatever I'm jacking up, when you reveal it, God, I'm going to work to get it right. Depending on the Holy Spirit, but doing the things that I need to do. Accountability, boundaries, assessment, conversation, confession. A brother hit me up the other day, said some stuff to me about some stuff that was going on with him, and it convicted me. And in that moment, God was like, you've been sinning. And I was like, that's sin. And I, for my next statement, let me make a clarifying statement. Me and my wife, good. I ain't doing none of that. Okay? Be honest. Be clear here, Okay. <laughs> 
Okay, let's be honest, let's be clear, we ain't, we ain't covering up no scandals. <laughs> scandals happen in our marriage, y'all, well, no, we tell it, everybody. But <laughs> no secrets, uh-uh. But listen, but I literally had to go in the room before I'm leaving, I, I said, babe, I, I got to confess something to you. I didn't even realize this was sin. But God revealed it. And so I said, oh, this is sin. I got to confess that to you. And then I got to put things in place to make sure that that can't happen. Right? Again, nothing crazy, y'all. Okay. It's crazy to my wife. (laughs) And so, but the point is, when God convicts, when God speaks, I make it a priority in my life to say, okay, God, I got to address that and I got to deal with that and I got to work on it. And if you're not going to be there, then you're going to always be making excuses for why you don't have the victory that you already have. And so I'm going to leave you with this, and then we're going to do this altar call. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I'm dead. In the life I live, I now live in, in the life I now live in the body, this new spiritual life that I live in this physical body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is life after death. It's the crucified life. And so, if there's anybody, and I, and, and, I know, and I know it's pressure when I make this statement, but if there's anybody that ain't just trying to look good for other people, meaning if five people come up, don't feel like, oh, if I don't come up, I'm going to look like I don't want to grow in Jesus. But if you, for real, in your life, like, man, there's some, there's some places that I've been given rulership to. That I don't want it to rule me, and that I don't want to give it rule anymore in my life. Then I'm going to invite you to just come up to the altar. And when you come, here's all you're doing. I'm just going to anoint you with oil and walk around while y'all praying. And all you're going to do is you're going to bow down or stand, whatever. We don't got pillows and stuff up here, but if you can, bow. And you're going to confess that sin. You're going to repent of that sin. And then you're going to have a conversation with God about the things that you can do in your life to protect yourself from those things. And then you're going to ask him to give you the power and the strength in those moments to choose him over you. Because you will have moments. You're going to have moments the moment you walk out this door after that. The devil going to see if your prayer was real. And he's going to test God's power just that quick. But I don't want us to make excuses anymore. If you're watching at home, you got a bed, kneel at the side of it. Do those same things yourself. But I'm going to open the altar for anybody. And even if you don't know what it is, maybe you're like, I'm good. I think I'm good. Then pray that God will reveal something to you. Tell God to search your heart. Ask God to show you what it is. going to play and y'all going to do your thing with God. I'm just going to walk around. You'll feel me touch you on your forehead. Just me. <laughs> <laughs>